Good morning. Our scripture reading is John 17, verses 14 to 19 this morning. It's on page 960 of your pew Bible. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name's Kevin, and uh, I have the great privilege of being one of the pastors of Cornerstone Church and uh, want to add uh, my warm welcome to you this morning. want to especially welcome those of you for whom Cornerstone is a new community or uh, even attending a worship service on a Sunday morning is uh, is a new experience for you. Um, We're just uh, thrilled that you're here with us. For, for many folks who are new, you know, or, you know, in checking things out, maybe you're checking Jesus out and check, checking his church out and wondering if it uh, could possibly be for you. Um, some, sometimes people join and come and check out a, a church community and, and they, they think, you know, what, what do these folks teach? But I, I think more often people think and wonder, how will I be treated? How, how will this community treat me or do can I can I is this a place where I can grow is this a place where I can actually work through real problems that I have in my life or am I going to have to fake it here and uh, I would just want to say uh, just right on the outset that uh, Cornerstone one of our aims is to be a community that has a, a low pressure uh, environment where your questions are taken seriously and honestly, where there's a, a low pressure, uh, uh, a well, warm and welcoming, non-accusational uh, culture where anyone can grow and where, uh, where all of us who are broken people, who've messed up, who've done things even this week of which we are ashamed, we've left good things undone, we've done things that, uh, or thought things, or said things that would uh, cause us shame to even admit this week. And so you're in a safe place, and uh, and we um, believe strongly in the person of Jesus, in his grace, in the truth of who he is, and the power of the good news about him. And so uh, we also think that the very best place to explore Jesus is in a community that takes him seriously that takes his word seriously, and that wants to bring all of our life under his lordship, which means that we want to live a life that's consistent, that the entirety of our lives lines up with the teaching and the way of Jesus. And so we would just welcome you on that journey, uh, uh, in that, uh, that uh, life, uh, that, that walk of, of following after Jesus. And so if you're, if you would not call yourself a follower of Jesus or a Christian, we are just thrilled that you're here and, uh, and would love to, um, explore the person and the work of Jesus with you. We are in a series, uh, of sermons, which is what we call this talk that I'm doing right now on this uh, prayer of Jesus. Right at the very end of his life, just hours before he is going to go to the cross, uh, Jesus 
uh, spends time with his disciples, his followers, and he prays. And it's, it's remarkable, right? So uh, as a pastor, I have the great privilege of often spending time with people as they're about to die. And it's interesting. Uh, if people who are about to die and they know they're about to die uh, aren't all that interested in talking about the weather, right? They, it's the important things that are on their hearts and minds. The, it's the important questions that they want to deal with. It's the, it's the, the relationships that they want to, to uh, sometimes mend or, or express love uh, for those that they love. And so what's on, it's, what's, what's foremost, what's deepest in your heart is what's on your mind as you know that the end of your life is drawing nigh. And, and as Jesus approaches the very end of his life, we, um, we see him approach his father in prayer and we, we learn something of his priority. What's on his heart? What's most important to him? What is it? Well, he spends almost the entirety of his prayer praying for us. Praying for us. Praying for those who would believe on the message about who he is and all that he's accomplished for us. And uh, this morning we're going to focus on these last uh, three verses that Megan read for us. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Just as you've sent me into the world, I'm sending them. And it's for their sake that I sanctify myself so that they can be sanctified also. So we see that Jesus is very, very concerned about us and us being sanctified. Now, what in the world does that mean? What does the word sanctify mean? It means to make holy, holy. And so we're going to be talking about Jesus' prayer for our holiness today. And don't worry, I'll just define what holiness means as well. But I want to just even draw out a little bit. What, what comes to your mind when you hear the word holy? Some of you, like me, think holy. What comes to your mind when you think of holiness or a holy person? I don't know if, I think a lot of us would think of someone who's kind of uh, grim. The, the cosmic, you know, the, the killjoy, right? Not a lot of fun. The more holy you are, the less you smile. I don't know if that's that's kind of what... That's what I kind of think uh, sometimes, uh, and you know, austere, off-putting. It's not at all what Jesus means when he uh, prays for our holiness. And uh, so I hope we, we see that here this morning, uh, that, that, that Jesus' prayer for our holiness is one of the most important things on his heart for us. And it's actually meant to lead us into joy, lead us into a fullness of joy, into the joy for which we were made. So I want to this morning think about um, why is holiness so important? And then secondly, I'm going to talk about what holiness is. So we'll define it a little bit later on. But uh, uh, so why is it so important that we talk about holiness, what it is, and then how it can grow? How can it actually grow in our lives? So why, first of all, is holiness important? Why should we even talk about it, even though I'm not really quite fully defining it right now? Well, Holiness is, first of all, the, the goal of Jesus' life. Holiness is the goal of Jesus' life. Jesus, again, he knows he's about to die. And so he's talking about what's most important to him. And he says, verse 19, he says, I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. 
says, if, if I'm going to boil my life down to one thing and what, what I am all about, it's for the sanctification or for the making holy of my people. That's what I'm all about. The goal of my life, the reason I've set myself apart, which is what it means by to say, I sanctify myself. I have, I have worked with one passion, with one purpose, with one goal in mind, is so that they would be sanctified too. So that my believers in my name would be sanctified. That's what, that's what my life is all about. My life is all about the holiness of my people. So it's pretty important. We think, we think the person of Jesus is pretty important. And, and we, we believe that because of who we believe him to be as God the Son in flesh. The one who rose from the dead. That has proved himself to be the Son of God, to be Lord of all creation by his death and resurrection. And so what he thinks to be pretty important, we think to be pretty important. So if you, if you actually want to have anything to do with Jesus, you have to let him make you holy. Because that's what he's all about. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be a holy person in order to come to Him, in order to begin to interact with Him. It means if you are willing, if you want to interact with Him at all, you have to be willing to let Him do what He's all about. To do what His great goal of His life was, which was to make you holy. You know, if you, if you uh, would say, you know, the meaning of my life, what my life is all about is, is creating music. That's the great goal of my life is to create beautiful music and I love to listen to music and study music and, and I like to play music. My life is all about music. And I say, well, hey, you know what? I'd, I'd really like to get to know you. I'd love to really spend time. But I, I don't want to talk about music at all. Because I can't carry a tune in a bucket if it's strapped to my back and uh, don't really enjoy music. But hey, I kind of like you and uh, I'd like to spend some time. But just don't don't bring up music. Well, it makes no sense, right? You've already said that the very goal of your life, the very purpose of your life, the one thing that your life is meant to do is to, to uh, appreciate and create beautiful music. Well, Jesus says his life is all about creating holiness in his people. And so if you want anything to do with Jesus, you have to be willing for that goal to be accomplished in your life, which is to make you holy. Some of you... Some of us sometimes wrestle with the question, God, what's your will for me? What do you what do you want me to do? And sometimes that's in the context of, you know, should I buy this house or not? Or what career should I go down? And should I marry this person or not? And we're like, God, what's your will for me? You know, there's a verse that tells you what God's will for you is. First Thessalonians four, verse three says, this is God's will for you. Do you want to know what's at the end of that sentence? It would be pretty important, right? If we want to know God's will for us, it would be pretty important to know at the, at the end of that sentence, this is God's will for you, your sanctification, your holiness, your process of becoming more and more holy is God's will for you. God's way more interested in you becoming a holy person than in whether you buy this house or that house or become a doctor or a paramedic or a lawyer. It's the kind of person you are is more important to God than the details of actually how that gets worked out. God's will for you is your holiness. So the very goal of Jesus' life is your holiness, so it's pretty important. Second reason why it's important to talk about holiness is because holiness drives the very mission of Jesus. You see this in verse 18. 
As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. That, the word sent uh, in the Latin translation is the word missio, which is where we get the word mission from. He's like, Father, you've sent me on a mission, and in the very same way, I am sending my, my followers on a mission. I want to accomplish, you sent me to accomplish some things, and in the same way, I am sending my disciples, my followers, the believers in my name, I'm, accomp- I'm sending them to accomplish that mission as well. So Jesus' mission, what is Jesus' mission? Why did the Father send the Son? God loved the world this way. John 3.16 He sent His one and only Son. Why? So that whoever would believe on Him would not perish, but have eternal, everlasting life. Jesus says that when He would, in John chapter 12, He says, when I die, I'm going to draw all kinds of people to Myself. My life is all about drawing people to Me. I'm sending my followers into this world to do the very same thing that the Father sent me to do, which is to draw all kinds of people to faith in me, to put their trust in me, and to begin to follow me as well. I'm sending my followers to attract people to God. Jesus' mission in his life was to attract people to God through his beautiful life and through his sacrificial death and through his victorious resurrection. The very reason he came was to draw people and attract people to God. And he says, I'm sending my followers to do the very same thing. So he's sending them out. So what does he ask his father for? What does he ask his father for in order to accomplish that great mission that he began and that his followers are continuing? What does he ask the father for? He says, Father, would you make sure that they have great answer to all the intellectual questions that are going to come their way? You say, give them really great books on evangelism. Give them really great programs. Make sure they have cool buildings. Make sure that, you know, they have great lighting and, and the seats are comfortable. And what does he say? He prays for two things. He prays for our holiness and our unity. We're going to talk about unity next week. He prays for our holiness and our unity. And I believe actually that our holiness is a prerequisite for our unity. That we won't be one as God's people unless we're actually pursuing holiness ourselves. Now, here's the truth. If you're a follower of Jesus, you very likely have people in your life who you wish, who you have a, a desire for to become followers of Jesus. We actually say that. It's a little bit awkward to say that in our culture. It's like proselytizing is a, is a bit of a, a dirty word in our culture. And, you know, don't force your beliefs on me. And that's not what we mean by when, when we say that we would have a desire for people to come to know and follow and love and believe on Jesus. What we mean by that is, is that, you know, Jesus has, has been the very best thing that's ever happened to us. <laughs> that he's been the very, uh, he's been the, the, the greatest experience of love and joy that we've ever experienced. And it, it, it wouldn't be loving of us to, to not want our kids who, to become believers in Jesus and followers of Jesus so that they could experience that same love and joy and peace that we've experienced. And, and, and we want our, our neighbors or our coworkers, our friends, whoever is in our lives, we actually want them to experience that same kind of love and joy. Now, our friendship, you know, if you're, and maybe you're here and you're, um, maybe you're here with a friend and, and you say, well, am I their project? No, it's, our friendship with you doesn't depend on you becoming a follower of Jesus. We'll still be friends with you whether or not you do that. But we do have a desire for you to actually 
come to know Jesus and follow him. Because he is the greatest source of love and joy that we, that, that we, we believe that, that is out there. And that actually the reason why you're made, that you'll, you'll find the very reason why you're made is in, when you become a follower of him. So we have these people in our lives who we actually desire, that we have this mission, even, to, to, to share good news with. That there's really good news out there, and we want to share that good news. What attracted people to Jesus in his day? Well, some were attracted by the miracles, but did they last? What attracted people to Jesus? Those who came for the spectacular miracles didn't last. But those who followed Jesus were attracted by his wisdom, by his courage, by his compassion and humility, by his poise, by his conviction, by his love, by his patience. Those who, who were really attracted to Jesus for the long haul were attracted by the beauty of his character, by the beauty of his person, by who he was. Now, when you have a beautiful character, it's, it's both attractive and threatening. Well, the beauty of Jesus' character is what attracted people to him, but is also what got him killed because his, his, those who opposed him couldn't stand it. It's, sim- it's similar when, if you're like me and have you know, considerable physical beauty, and that wasn't a joke. You know, the, those, you know maybe there are some beautiful people here, I'm told, that you know, people want to be around you, but they're also jealous and hate you for it. Right? Like, the moral beauty of Jesus is, is both attractive and threatening. And uh, it's the same as true. But what, what this world needs from us as Jesus' followers, for, in order to, to share the good news of Jesus, is the beautiful character, the, the remarkable life, actually, the remarkable character transformation that Jesus and the Holy Spirit that he sends, the Holy Spirit, that he, he sends to actually live within us. So the very mission that Jesus was on, that he now invites us to join in, depends on our holiness. So it's important. Have I made my point? It's important that we talk about holiness. Jesus is praying about it at the very end of his life. It sounds like a heavy burden, but good thing we're not done. Right? It sounds like a heavy burden, but we're not done this morning. So what is holiness? What is holiness? I've been talking about it, but we should probably define what it is. Is it a long list of rules? The do's and the don'ts? Is it trying really, really hard to be really, really good? I, I, there's, as I study that, uh, study this, the word this week and read a bunch of commentaries on it, I think there's kind of three components to holiness that I want to bring out here and help us to have a richer understanding of what holiness or sanctification is and what it means. So, first of all, it means to have one purpose. It means to have one purpose. In the Old Testament, in the first part of the scriptures, um, inanimate objects could be were called sanctified. So, uh, if they, they, you know, pe- uh, the people of Israel could take a chair and they could uh, bring it to the temple to be used for the temple ministry, and it could be said that that chair was sanctified. That means it was set apart for one purpose, for the ministry in the temple. That it was that chair wasn't to be used for anything else. It was to be used in the temple worship. And so it was sanctified. It was set apart for one purpose, for one use. 
Jesus says he sanctified himself. Well, if sanctify means moral improvement, it makes no sense in the case of Jesus. Right? He was, we believe he was perfect, morally pure from beginning to end. And so there was no improvement necessary. So while for us sanctification does have this um, process and growth and character attached to it, and it doesn't mean that, and we'll get to that, but for Jesus, it didn't mean that. It, for, in that case, it means he was set apart for one purpose, that he had a laser focus on his life. He was set apart for one great purpose. Now think of, uh, think of an athlete. Think of, a, of someone who says, my great goal is I want to, in four years from now, I want to win an Olympic gold medal. I want to win an Olympic gold medal. And so that athlete must become so focused on that goal that they need to, that, that the training for that athletic event must be the one thing that they do. That must be the one purpose, the one focus in their lives for that four years. Or else they stand no shot. Now it doesn't mean that all they're doing is training. Right? If, if, if you're a swimmer and you want to train to win an Olympic gold medal in the butterfly, it doesn't mean that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you're training and practicing the butterfly. You'll kill yourself, right? There's, you, you still need to have friends and you need to sleep and you need to eat. You need to do all kinds of other things. But all of the things that you do need to be subservient, need to serve that one ultimate goal of winning an Olympic gold medal, of training. And so the training isn't the only thing you do, and yet it is the only thing you do. Because where you live, you need to live close to the coaches and training facilities. When you, when you, your schedule, when you train, and when you sleep, and when you have time to go out with friends, and what you eat, all of that is meant to serve that one overarching goal and purpose. Laser focused on one thing, like the Apostle Paul says in Philippians. He says, one thing I do. Forgetting what's behind and straining forward, to, I press on to the goal of the upward call of God in Christ for me. One thing I do. Well, he's doing all kinds of things, but it's all one thing. It's all one purpose. He's set apart for one purpose in his life. You see, following God, following Jesus isn't one thing among many. It's, it's the one thing. It's the one thing. You know, I've, I've walked with people who have said things like, you know, I... I tried following Jesus. I tried following Jesus, but then all this terrible stuff happened in my life. And man, if, if, I, if following Jesus means bad stuff's going to happen in my life, then I'm done. I'm through with it. And I don't mean to be crass, and I don't mean to be disrespectful. But really, they weren't following Jesus. They were using Jesus to get to something else, right? That what they're really saying is that one purpose in my life is for good things to happen to me. However, I define those good things to be. And if following Jesus means that some bad things are going to get in the way of that one purpose, then I'll discard Jesus. That's not being set apart for the purpose of God. Being set apart for one purpose means I'll obey no matter what. Even if it means that I won't advance in my career. Even if it means that, well, I can't keep this boyfriend or girlfriend or marry this person or no matter what. Jesus, following Jesus is the one thing. Being set apart for Him, serving Him, loving Him, obeying Him is the one goal of my life. It becomes the one goal of, his, of my life, one purpose. Either we're letting God use us on His mission or we're using God for our own mission. 
say that again. Either we're letting God use us on his mission or we are trying to use him for our own mission. So it means holiness means having one purpose. It also means having a united heart. A united heart. There's a, as we grow in holiness, there's a gradual wholeness that comes to our hearts, that grows. Psalm 86, uh, David is praying and he says, Give me an undivided heart that I would praise your name. Give me an undivided heart. One translation says, Unite my heart to fear your name. Give me an undivided heart. It's talking about the loyalty and the affections of our heart, the allegiance of our heart, the loves of our heart. It's ordering our loves rightly. Augustine, St. Augustine talks about this often. If you want to read further on that, I'd, I highly recommend his Confessions, the Confessions by, by St. Augustine. But that so many of the, the problems in our lives come from the disordering of our loves, that we love something out of order, that we lo- take a good thing and we make it the ultimate thing and, and we love it in place of God who should be the, the, the object of our deepest and highest affection and loyalty. You see, we go through this, we go through week after week and we're wooed by so many things that say, love me, love me. I find in my own heart this desire that just people would like me. That, that I have in my heart this desire, this, this love of human praise and approval. And when you love human approval, when you love the praise of people more than the praise of God, more than the approval of God, then you, what I find myself doing is, is setting aside the thing, the calling that God has for me and, and walking in people-pleasing and trying to just do whatever will make other people happy. But growing in holiness is, is growing saying, I, want my, I don't want divided heart. I don't want divided affections. I don't want divided allegiances. I want one heart. I want one love. I want one allegiance. I want the approval of God. Maybe it's power for you. Maybe you want control. Maybe you're tempted to, to, to do whatever it takes in order to be in control. Or, or maybe, to, maybe comfort. Whatever, I'll do whatever it takes so that I could live a comfortable life. But we've all got something. We've all got something that's always vying for our affections. That's always vying for our allegiance. But holiness says there's nothing else in my heart. I love the, the vision in Isaiah chapter 6. If you're a church folk, you know this, um, this great uh, uh, event here where in Isaiah's life where he's a vision of God. And, and there's this one phrase and it says um, he, saw, he sees the Lord high and lifted up. And he says the, the train of his robe fills the temple. It fills the temple. You see, there's only room in the temple for God. There's only room in the temple for God. And your heart is a temple. Our hearts are a temple. And for us to grow in holiness means to say that there's room only in our heart for, for God. That, that we're, we're, like Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. That growing in holiness is growing in love so that you have one love that takes up the entirety of your heart. And there isn't these competing things. And then thirdly, what does holiness mean? Holiness means a new community. And I want to just point this out because I think 
especially for us church folk, we tend to think of, you know, our personal relationship with God and it's between me and God. And uh, so I need to grow in my personal holiness. Well, look at look at carefully at these verses again. Look carefully at these verses. I'll read them for you. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. It's all communal language. It's all community language. It's all plural. It's not about you and your God. It's about us and our God. You're not called to an individual walk with God. You're called to a personal walk with God, but that has a, you're called to a communal experience of God. We're meant to do this together. We're meant to grow in holiness together as a community. So don't read it as an individual. First Peter 2, 9 says you're a holy nation. A holy nation. A different community. A different culture. It's about us and our God. It's not about you and your God. And so our community, our family needs to resemble this and grow in this and and express the character and the beauty of God in the way that the genders interact, in the way that generations interact, in the way that races interact, in our concern for the poor, in the way that we spend our money, the way that we wield power. So now imagine you're sitting in your living room and someone comes, someone from uh, your church community comes to your home and says, let's have a little chat. Do you mind if we talk about how much money you make and what you do with it? How are you feeling? How are you feeling? Let's talk about how much money you make and what you do with it. How, how involved are you relationally with the poor? What are you doing with your time? Let's. Let's look at your calendar. How do you feel? Uncomfortable? Anyone uncomfortable? Why is that? You say, wow, they're just being nosy. Maybe they are. I'm not, I'm not judging the motives of that person. But if in principle you're opposed to that conversation, is it possible you're thinking about holiness individualistically? as opposed to a community expression. And let me just tighten the screw just a, just a little bit. Why is money the off-topic off, off topic conversation? I know, it's, I know it's a Canadian thing, but is it a church thing? Should it be a church thing? It's none of your business. What is it? Because the way in which you grow in holiness affects me. And the way in which I grow in holiness affects you. And your witness to the world affects my witness to the world. It affects our witness to the world. So what you do with money, sex, and power, what you do with money, sex, and power affects my witness, our witness to the world. So why is it an off-topic conversation? Why, Why is that between me and God? And nobody else? It's just you and me, kid. No way. No way. There must be people in your life with whom you can have conversations, open, honest conversations about what it means to follow Jesus 
with your money. Not just theoretically, but practically. I make this much money, and this is what I think God's calling me to do with it. Everyone's uncomfortable. That's great. You know it's a good sermon when you're uncomfortable, right? (laughs) Woo! The screws are tightened. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Why is it? I, maybe there's a good answer. Maybe I'm not smart enough to know the answer, and maybe there's a reason why it should be so private that no one knows how much money you make and no one knows how much money I make. And Maybe there's a good reason for that. I'd love to hear it. You can tell me later. But I think you're wrong. I think we need to grow in that. And I think it's okay for us as a community to say, hey, you know what? I think maybe we've bought into the Canadian culture in this way, in a way that doesn't reflect the Scripture. And maybe we need to repent of that, and maybe we need to grow in that. Just maybe. How does it grow? How do we grow in holiness? Let's get to some good news. Let's make you feel better about yourself and God. Jesus says, how do we grow in holiness? Sanctify them, how? By the truth. Your word is truth. I love that he doesn't say your word is true. Your word is truth. Your word just, it doesn't just have true statements in it. Your word is truth. Your word is the standard by which all other statements are measured, Father. And the beautiful thing about following Jesus is that truth is not just a, not only a set, a body of truth, a set of true statements, it's also a person. Because John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So truth is a person. Truth is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate word, and Jesus is the ultimate truth. That truth is not only statements that are true or false. Truth is a, is a person. Truth is, has flesh on. Truth has been embodied for us, and it's been embodied in the person of Jesus. You see... The truth and our relation to the truth is how one becomes a Christian. Verse 8 of John 17, he says, Because I have given them the words you gave me. Or says, They know everything that you have given is from you. That's verse 7. Because I have given them the words you gave me. They received them. They received my words and have known for certain that I came from you. They, they received and know and believe that I, Jesus, am from you, the Father. That Jesus is of divine origin. We've believed the word, the truth, that Jesus has a divine origin. And says they've believed that you have sent me. They believe that they, that I have been sent by you, Father, on a mission. A mission to live a perfect life. A, li- a, a, a mission to die a sacrificial death. A mission to rise again victoriously for my people so that I could welcome them into our community and build a new community in relationship with us. Forgiveness of sins. New life. Resurrection of the body in the kingdom that I'm going to establish forever and ever. Amen. He says, that's how one becomes a Christian. We believe that Jesus is from God, that he's come on this mission. But the focus in his prayer here in verse 17 to 19 is on his disciples, those who have trusted in him. And he says, the way in which you grow in sanctification, the way in which you're set apart and continually set apart is also by the word. By the word, by the truth. You know, sanctification is not zapped down from heaven. It comes through the truth. 
It comes through the truth. It's not passive. You know, students, if you're studying for an exam, it doesn't work to put the textbook under your pillow and pray, Lord, just as I sleep on this, let it come up. I've tried. It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way, right? It's not passive. It doesn't get zapped down into us. God never actually even forces our will, but he engages our will with the truth. I want to show, show this to us in a, a couple of spots, and then we'll be done. So if you want to take a copy of the scripture, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Turn, turn there. There's pew Bibles in front of you now. It's convenient, isn't it? Isn't that handy? You can grab a copy of God's word. Turn. Love the sound of pages turning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, page... Oh, no, I don't have the same copy as you do. What page? 1014. Sword drill. Andrew wins. 1 Corinthians... That's an insider churchy joke. I'm sorry. Shouldn't do those. Sword drill. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Here's a good pick-me-up this morning. Flee sexual immorality. There's a, this sounds like, <laughs> amen, yeah. This sounds like a, stop it, do this, don't do that. Flee sexual immorality. How, do, how does this happen? Every other sin, let's teach some truth. Let's, let's engage with the truth. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know, here's some more truth. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You're not even your own. You were bought as, with a price. So glorify God with your body. What sounds at first like, don't be sexual immoral, how, how, how do you flee from sexual immorality? Why well, you engage with the truth. Think about the truth. Let the truth grab you. Let the truth about who you are and what God has done for you in Christ, that he's bought you with a price, that you don't even belong to yourself anymore, that, that you belong to him. Let that fuel your growth. You see the difference? You see how the truth, the word, doesn't force our will? But it's not passive either. It's not like, just remove these sexual desires from that, that I have. It's, think about the truth. Think about the truth. Paul's not saying, hey, just pray that God would take these desires away from you. That's not what he's saying, right? He's saying, think about the truth. Let the, in, interact with the truth. God grows us by taking the truth and putting it in front of us. And the Holy Spirit helps us to grasp it, to understand it, to apply it, to make it real to us, to grab our hearts and to, to warm our hearts with love. And, and, and so that we can see the truth and say, yes, that's, what, that's the one purpose I'm living for. That's what my heart loves. That's the community I want to be a part of. Ephesians 1, Paul prays, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open so that you would know the hope to which you've called. That, the, that you would know the glorious inheritance that is yours in Christ. That you would know the great power that's available to us who believe. Well, how is that great power available? It's available through the Word as the Holy Spirit takes His Word, takes the truth, and applies it to our hearts, and, and melds us and molds us. It doesn't force our will, but he engages our will with the truth. It's not passive. So you have to get to the Word of God. You have to get to the Word of God. The way the Holy Spirit changes us and grows us is through the, Holy, is through the Word of God. That's why, for, by the way, when you came in this morning, you got a, a bulletin, a program. 
On the back of it, we publish a Bible reading plan. Because the very most practical thing for your walk with Jesus is being daily in His Word. Is daily getting in front of the Word of God and letting the Holy Spirit of God interact with your heart and your will with the truth. You don't have to use that one. We think it's a great idea if the entire church is reading along together and interacting together on this. That's why we publish it. We think it's a great idea. That's why in a couple of weeks, November 2nd and 3rd, we're uh, hosting together with New Hope Church Niagara over at their site a, a, a seminar on Friday evening and all day Saturday about how to learn and how to read and interpret and apply the Bible. It's so important. Dr. Mark Westner, president of Mennonite Brethren Biblical Seminary in Canada, is coming. And it's only 20 bucks. And it includes lunch. So what you should do is you should go to ccchurch.ca, sign up for this seminar, and feel like you've just stolen something. Because you're getting a day and a half with a seminary professor getting a high-level education, and lunch is getting thrown in for 20 bucks. That is the best deal going. And so if you feel like one of the next steps in your journey is to, wow, I need some help as to how to learn, how to read the Bible, and how to interpret. What does it mean? How do I apply it to my life? You've got like eight hours with someone who's given his life to study and teach this for 20 bucks and lunch and probably coffee, too. Like you don't even have to buy the Timmy's before. Like there'll be coffee there. You should feel like like you're ripping us off when you go and sign up for that. If this pastoring thing doesn't work out, sales is where I should go, right? <laughs> some of us have to admit some things. Some of us have to say, we take a hard look at our lives and you say, you know what? You know what? I'm just as grumpy right now as I was a year, for, a, a year ago. If I think of myself 12 months ago, I haven't really grown in joy. I have no more sense of a mission, mission in my life. I, I'm not really seeing changes in my character. So what do we need? We need longer behavior modification lists? No, we need to be in the Word. Make time for the truth. Make time for the truth. Maybe you need to get mentored in it. Read the Bible with someone else. It's not you and your God. It's us and our God. Maybe you need to read the Bible together with someone. Someone who's done it for a long time. Read a passage together and talk about it together. Maybe that's what you should do. Maybe you're like, man, I don't even know if I can believe the Bible. I'm, I'm, again, we're glad you're here. But you've, I, I do want to challenge you to, to read it, to try it out. I, I actually believe you're banking, you're betting your entire eternal destiny on that statement that, I'm not, that I don't believe the Bible. But have you read it as an adult? Or are you going on a memory of what you've had as a kid? I'd encourage you to take the John's Gospel, this book, this part of the Bible that we've been reading together this morning, we've just a little section, and read it. Maybe read it with someone. And say, and ask God, if this is really the truth, would you show me that it's the truth? And if you're really out there, I'm not even sure if you are out there, but if you are out there, would you show me if this is the truth? And show me what you've done for me? And he will, because that's what he does. That's what he does. 
And maybe you are a follower of Jesus and you need to be reminded that he sanctified himself for you. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're discouraged by that grumpiness or that sexual immorality or whatever it is. Maybe you're, maybe you're just discouraged this morning that, man, I still lie. I still struggle to tell the truth or I still struggle to be generous. Maybe you need to be reminded this morning that he set himself apart for one great passion, one great mission to make you holy. He has done it. And he's done it all. He actually doesn't need you to add anything to his work. When he died on the cross for your sins, he said, it's finished. It's finished. You don't have to add anything to his work. And when you see that kind of love, the father sending his son, the son going and paying the price for our freedom, paying the price for our forgiveness, that's what fuels your growth. That's what fuels your sanctification. That's what will give you the power to have one purpose in your, in your life. That's what will give you the power to have one love, to have a united heart. That's what will give you the power to be part of a new community. Would you pray with me? So, Father in heaven, set us apart for this one great calling in our lives. To know you, to love you, to serve you, and to experience and receive life from you. So, Father, would the last and loudest word this morning be a a word of life, a word of grace? Lord, knowing that you're so patient with us. And so help us to be patient with one another. Help us to love one another well. Help us to love the world that surrounds us and to give ourselves away for the flourishing of our neighbors. And so, Father, would you do that work among us in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Every Sunday we take a few moments. We call it connection time. Like like we said, it's not about me and my God or uh, you and your God. It's about us and our God. And so we want you to connect and 